Chapter 4 of The Whispering Eye by G.T. Fleming Roberts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Live Steam. The Black Hood had reached a dead end in the trail which had led him from the Weedham Industries plant. The gray sedan in which the fleeing criminals were riding had vanished, apparently into thin air. Black Hood had spent thirty minutes of search at breakneck speed in an attempt to pick up the trail of the gray sedan again. He had driven the roadster which belonged to Jeff Weedham in and out of alleys in a trial-and-error effort to sight the killer's car, but all without success. It occurred to him then that it was entirely possible that the rob-and-kill boys had not left the suburban town at all. Perhaps this was their hideout. With that in mind, he parked Jeff Weedham's car and stepped out into the rain, his black cape wrapped around him. He felt that he could walk the streets in comparative safety in spite of his costume, for it would have required close inspection under direct light to distinguish the garb he wore from the standard poncho and rain hood worn by the traffic police in bad weather. After an hour or more of legwork that yielded him no information so far as a possible hideout for the criminals was concerned, Black Hood came across the drunk. The drunk was in a dismal alley, leaning up against the wall of a tavern which he had evidently just left. He was a young man, and he wore some sort of a uniform, that of a chauffeur, taxi driver, or something of the sort. When Black Hood put in his appearance, the young man started to move along up the alley, staggering as he walked. "'Wait a minute,' Black Hood called. "'Sall right, officer,' the drunk said, mistaking Black Hood for a cop." I'm on my way. I'm going home. You think you'll get there weaving around that way? Black Hood asked, catching up with the man. If you don't fall asleep under the wheels of a truck, you'll be mighty lucky. Only live a block from here, the drunk explained. I'll make it. I got a skimful, all right. Never been drunk before, so help me, officer. But Berkey fired me because he said I was drunk when I wasn't. A man's got to live up to his reputation, don't he? Who's Berkey? Black Hood asked. He was determined to see that the young drunk got safely home. Runs the supercharged gasoline station two blocks south of here. He said he wouldn't have a drunk working for him, but I was cold sober when it happened. When what happened? Black Hood linked his arm with that of the young man. I was out at the gas pumps when a gray sedan barreled into the station and in onto the wash rack, the young man explained. Berkey brought the doors down in the washroom and turned on the steam. About ten minutes later, the gray sedan drove out the other side of the washroom and it wasn't gray anymore. It was blue. Blue with red wheels. At the mention of a gray sedan traveling fast, Black Hood's interest increased. Maybe, he suggested, there were two cars in the washroom. Can't be, the young man said. There's only room for one at a time. I went to Berkey and asked him how it happened that a car would change color like that. He said it hadn't changed color, and if I thought it had, I must be drunk. So he fired me. 
but I was cold sober, I tell you, and I'd like to know what I'm going to do and what my widowed mother's going to do with me out of a job. Black Hood reached inside his cape. The broad black belt which he wore contained many secret pockets, and from one of these he extracted a ten-dollar bill. He pressed the money into the young man's hand. "'That'll tide you over until you can find a job,' he said. "'Think you can get across the street all right?' They had reached the end of the alley by this time, and the young drunk had said that his home was just on the other side of the street. The drunk stared at the crumbled bill in his hand. Then he raised his eyes to Black Hood's face. In the glow from a nearby street lamp, he could clearly see the black mask that covered the upper part of Black Hood's face to the tip of his nose. The drunk was startled. Who, who are you? He stammered. Black Hood laughed. Never mind, son. Just forget you ever saw me. Then he turned and ran back along the alley to walk quickly in the direction of the gas station where the drunk had worked, two blocks to the south. The overhead door of the car washing room was open, and as Black Hood entered it, he glanced through the glass pane of the door connecting this portion of the service station with the office. A big, shaggy-haired man in brown overalls had just picked up the telephone from his battered, grease-stained desk. This man would be Berkey, the owner of the station. Black Hood's keen eyes flicked around the room in which he now stood. At the back, near a stand that racked a number of grease guns, he saw a second telephone fixed to the wall, an extension of the one in the office, he wondered. He crossed to the wall phone and gently removed the receiver from its hook and held it to his ear. He heard a gruff voice, which might well have been that of the man Berkey, say, Is this the eye? Black Hood's eyes narrowed. The voice that came over the wire was a toneless whisper. This is the eye speaking, Berkey said. Delancey came through here about a couple of hours ago. Delancey, the eye said. Yes, I know. I changed paint jobs for him according to instructions, Berkey explained. But what I called you about, I got a young fellow working here grinding gas. He saw a gray sedan roll in here and he saw that it was blue when it went out. He came in here to ask how come. What did you do? The eye whispered. Told him he was drunk and fired him, Berkey replied. That was careless of you, the voice whispered after the pause of a moment. Very careless. You should have silenced this man at once, Berkey said. How the hell could I do that? That's your problem, the whisper said. But you must dispose of him immediately. Do you understand? Is that an order? That is an order, the eye whispered grimly, and broke the connection. Black Hood hung up quietly, then, crouching low, he crossed the room to where the strainer top of the sewer drain was placed in the concrete floor. It was in this room that Delancey's getaway car had changed paint jobs, and in about ten minutes. How was such a thing possible? He dropped to his knees, nerves tense as he lifted the strainer plate. Dove-gray particles clung to the sewer opening beneath, particles of some sort of paint that was soluble in water or perhaps live steam. A glint of understanding came into his eyes. Delancey had driven the getaway car into this room. The car actually was not a gray car at all. 
It was a blue car, the paint covered with this gray, steam-soluble substance. All that was necessary to convert the car which Black Hood had been following into a blue car, which he certainly would have missed, was a good bath of steam. It wouldn't have required more than ten minutes at the outside. A rumbling sound that did not originate in the thundercaps above jerked Black Hood's attention from the drain. His glance darted toward the overhead doors which were dropping swiftly into place. His eyes turned toward the door leading into the service station office. Berkey, the proprietor, was standing at the door, watching Black Hood through the glass. There was a diabolical grin on the face of the station owner. Black Hood straightened as the overhead doors fell into place and locked. He took two long, springy strides toward the door, but he never quite reached that door. With an explosive hiss, gray jets of live steam erupted from the pipes around the edge of the room, scalding steam that could burn and blister and boil human flesh. Black Hood fell back from the door, staggered by his first contact with that hissing gray hell. He threw back his head, looked above at steam pipes that crisscrossed overhead, and then Berkey manipulated the valve that controlled the overhead pipes, and the steam poured down upon Black Hood from above. He couldn't see now because of the steam. He dared not open his eyes lest the heat blind him permanently. But in that brief glimpse upward, Black Hood had marked the location of one of the steam pipes. He crouched, nerves and muscles tense, controlled in spite of the torturous cloud of scalding vapor that pressed close to him. Suddenly, he unleashed all the pent-up power of flexed legs, leaped into the air, one gauntlet protected hand out thrust for the pipe which he knew was there, even if he could not see it. Fingers grasped, held like steel hooks. He drew himself up with one powerful arm until his other hand could join its mate. The intense heat penetrated the leather palms of his black gauntlets. Still he hung on, drawing himself upward to hook a leg over the very pipe that threatened to boil him alive. He understood now why the hermit, that wise old man who had nursed him from the very jaws of death, had been so insistent upon regular muscular exercise. The power to save himself was there in the muscles of back, legs, and arms. It was there, waiting for just such moments of danger as these. Gradually he hauled himself to the pipe above, got his feet onto the pipe, and stood erect, his hands reaching up to the rafters to maintain his balance. And there he waited in that hot gray cloud that pressed to the roof where it condensed and fell like warm rain. His body was safe from the direct contact with the blistering jets of steam. At last the steam was shut off, the gray clouds dissipated. Cautiously, Berkey unlocked the door which connected the car-washing room with his office. He stepped out, doubtless expecting to find Black Hood curled up on the floor, all consciousness driven from him by the pain of countless steam burns. The Black Hood, watching from the pipes above, showed white teeth in a wide grin. "'Look up, Berkey!' he sang out. And as the big service station proprietor raised startled eyes, the Black Hood let go of the rafters, took a dive from the pipe straight at the man below. He caught Berkey at the throat and shoulders with his hands. The driving weight of him crushed the big man to the floor, knocked the breath out of him. And for a moment, Black Hood just sat there on top of Berkey, 
holding him in his powerful grasp. "'How does it feel to be utterly helpless, Bergie?' he said quietly. "'You see what I can do with you? I can choke the life out of you this way.' The fingers of his right hand constricted on Berkey's throat until the man's eyes crawled a little way out of their sockets. Then he eased his grip a little. Or I could dash your brains out against the floor like this. And Black Hood seized Berkey's shaggy hair and bounced the filling station operator's head against the floor a couple of times. Berkey said nothing. Black Hood slapped him hard across the side of the face with his gauntlet-covered hand. Berkey winced, squirmed a little. Then, realizing that he was completely at the Black Hood's mercy, he lay still. Talk, Black Hood said. Who's the eye? I don't know, Berkey croaked. I've never seen him. I don't know who he is. You could kill me, maybe, but you couldn't make me talk. What was that telephone number you just called? Black Hood persisted. Berkey's eyes rolled. I can't tell you. The eye would kill me if I told. Black Hood laughed harshly. And what do you think I'm going to do with you if you don't talk? Berkey said nothing. Black Hood got off the man, stood up. He told Berkey to get to his feet. And you better get your fists up, Berkey, because if you don't, I'm liable to knock your head off. Possibly Berkey knew something about boxing. Possibly he had gone a round or two with some second-rate slugger sometime in his life but certainly he had never fought with anybody who could equal the Black Hood in speed and firepower. Black Hood's fists were everywhere at once. His long arms were like rapiers striking through Berkey's guard to land time after time in the big man's face. Finally, Berkey crumpled against the wall, one eye closed, the other looking sleepy. Blood was dripping from nose and mouth. "'Talk!' Black Hood demanded." One closed fist raised like a hammer above the man's head. Berkeley simply shook his head feebly and collapsed, unconscious. Black Hood made a swift but careful search of the filling station office without revealing anything in the way of incriminating evidence. If Berkey knew the eye's telephone number, he apparently kept it in his head. Black Hood found a short length of chain and padlock which was used to keep anyone from tampering with one of the oil pumps that topped a steel drum. He returned to the car washing room, scooped the keys out of the unconscious Berkey's pockets, then he chained and locked the filling station man to the steel cross member of the wash rack. Then he went into the office, telephoned police headquarters. When the desk sergeant had answered, he said, if you will send men to the supercharged gas station here in your city, you will find the proprietor, a man named Berkey. I suggest that he be questioned in conjunction with the activities of the criminal organizer known as the Eye, and especially in his connection with the killing and robbery at the Weedham Industries plant tonight. Who is this? the desk sergeant demanded. Black Hood chuckled. You'll never find out. And then he hung up left the station to vanish into the murk of the rain-swept night. It must have been at about this time that Joe Strong, the demon photographer on the staff of Jeff Weedham's paper, The Daily Opinion, made a startling discovery. He was in the dark room at the newspaper office with Barbara Sutton, developing films which he had exposed at the Weedham factory that night. He turned from his developing traps to face Barbara, the broad grin on his coarse features was illuminated by the ruby light hanging above their heads. 
Honey, Joe said, I got something that's going to set this little old New York right back on its heels. I've got positive proof that will identify the dirty bum who's behind this crime wave. Positive evidence that will point to the killer of the watchman at the Weedham plant tonight. There was a skeptical gleam in Barbara's beautiful eyes. Since she had been working on the newspaper with Joe Strong assigned as her picksman, she had heard just such claims from Joe before. He was always turning up a picture that was to be the scoop of the week and which usually developed into a fogged film of no use to anybody. She said, Well, if you have, you'd better turn it over to the editor before you bungle the developing some way. Jeff Weedham is going to have to pull something pretty soon to pick up circulation. He's got to prove to his father that he can run this business. If he fails at this job as he has at every other, I understand Mr. Weedham is going to cut Jeff off from the Weedham fortune. Joe stuck his thumbs in the armholes of his vest. Jeff's worries are over. Permanently. This is the scoop of the week. We got the guy red-handed. Take a look, beautiful. Joe held up the negative strip which he had just developed. He pointed a thick forefinger at the exposure near the end of the strip. Joe didn't quite understand how he had got the picture unless that flare of lightning had acted as a flashlight bulb and the lens of his camera had been open at the time. But no matter how he had obtained it, there was the picture. It showed the unmistakable figure of Black Hood standing over Joseph, the Weedham gatekeeper. It showed more than that. It showed Black Hood's gauntlet-covered right hand grasping the knife that was plunged into Joseph's throat. Barbara raised her hand to her mouth to check a startled cry. She stared at the negative and repeatedly shook her head. I don't believe it, she whispered. He wouldn't do such a thing. It's a trick, Joe. You're trying to trick me. Not me, Joe said. Just because you're in love with Black Hood, you're trying to kid yourself. I always said that guy was a crook, and now there's proof. He's the eye. He's the brains behind this robbery and the murder that resulted in looted banks and jewelry stores. The camera don't lie, Babs, and this little picture catches Mr. Hood with the goods on him. Barbara's indrawn breath sounded like a sob. She turned quickly and ran from the dark room. Was it true? Could it possibly be true? Black Hood had always told her that he was an outlaw, and she had loved him in spite of that because of the many good and brave things he had done to defend people against the criminals of the underworld. But if Black Hood was guiltless, this had never occurred to Barbara before. If he was actually guiltless, why had he never let her see his face? End of chapter four.